0: Well, we're coming to the end of our series on I Have Some Good News For You. And it's been a series where we've traveled together looking at the real essence of Christian faith and uh, inviting our friends along as well so that we can examine uh, the real true, the true message of Christianity. And today, we are looking at a painful subject, a difficult subject, uh, and that is, why does the church cause so much pain? Why does the church cause so much pain? And historically and currently, the church has always sadly done that. Uh, There has always been throughout history, examples of Christians and the church getting it wrong. Uh, We only need to know our history books a little bit to know that that is the case. We also, when we look at our history books, can see how many times Christians have got it right. When we look at Wilberforce, when we look at Martin Luther King, when we look at those who have stood up for justice for the sake of Jesus Christ. So even here today, we will maybe have a conflicted view of church For some, it's our home, it's our spiritual home here at Bourneville. For others, it's a place that perhaps you're visiting today, having a look. Maybe you've been with us just a few weeks, I don't know. But there will be, for most of us, times where church has got it wrong. And if you're looking for a perfect church, help is at hand, because you can Google it, as with everything. If you Google how to find your perfect church... We have this, which I have found today. Uh, Anything less than handcrafted pour-over coffee is not acceptable. So you're looking for the very best in pure hot filtered coffee. I think we're doing pretty well on that one. Uh, Make sure that the worship band only plays in the genre you like of music and never deviates from that. So if you're a heavy metal fan or whatever you are, uh, good luck with that. Um, Don't stay if the preacher makes you feel uncomfortable or seems preachy. So that's a challenge to me today. Uh, Don't stay for that. And also don't stay if the preacher has less than 20,000 followers on Twitter. So if you want to go now, I haven't. So uh, please do go if that's uh, what you're looking for. Also look out for freebies. It's very good if there are giveaways. Uh, Our giveaways are usually in the form of fruit and cookies and things, but other churches apparently give way more than we do uh, to, to people coming in through our doors. And actually, um, it says, pick a church where everyone pretends to be very happy. If anyone breaks down or is upset and needs prayer, then there's some sort of malady and ill fortune and you need to move on. Now, before you leave, this is tongue in cheek. I don't want anyone to go thinking that is our message because it would be very far from our message church is messy and broken and imperfect because we are in it and from the moment every single one of us walk in whether we're a leader whether we're serving whatever we're doing whether we're visiting we know that we are not perfect people and so the church does and sadly will continue to cause pain There's a very sad story, an apocryphal story, in other words, I think a made-up story that I heard as a young person and has always stayed with me. And that is of a man who's homeless, who's on the streets, who's had a bit to drink, who doesn't smell particularly good, but he sees a church where families seem to go in and look happy and look content and come out looking thriving and happy. And he thinks, I would love one day to go into that church and have a bit of what they're having, just catch a bit of what they have and he plucks up so much courage and tries to smarten himself up a little bit and he goes and knocks finally on the door of that church and he says I'm wondering if you would let me in to come into your church and the person on the door no one on our doors would do this but the person on the door says no you don't look right you don't smell right you're a little bit drunk off you go. And he keeps coming back, trying a little bit harder to smarten himself up, maybe not have a drink that time, but he keeps getting the same response, which is actually, you don't fit. You're not good enough. And he falls on his knees on the ground in the end, and he cries out, and he says, God, if you're real, why will your people not let me into that beautiful church? And God, he hears God say, they haven't let me in for years. Um, And I think there is something in that. It's a kind of awkward story, isn't it? Because there is a sense where we would want the absolute opposite to be said of this church, and I hope it is. We can always do better, but our heart is to welcome everyone, whatever, whether they're having a good time or a bad time. But there is also a sense that some of us have felt we don't fit. I grew up feeling that, so I walked away from the church. I thought they were all right, but I just didn't feel that I fit it. And there will be people here that maybe have had that experience. Maybe even here. I hope not, but who knows? And if that is true, we're really, really sorry as a church. And I think it's a good opportunity in giving this talk to say that we are sorry at Riverside when we get it wrong, when we as leaders overlook or say the wrong, do the wrong things, or don't celebrate enough. And uh, I say that on behalf of of our leadership team, because I know we do. We're flawed people um, who many times are surprised to be leading, but know God's grace in that. Uh, And it may be that in the prayer time at the end of this talk, uh, you need prayer for one of those, Uh, those situations then we would love I know to pray with you about that but that is heartfelt because I do know that the church does cause pain personally as well as nationally and internationally Mahatma Gandhi said this this is hard I like your Christ I do not like your Christians your Christians are so unlike your Christ I don't know about you, but that really hurts me. It gets to me. But we can have two reactions to that. We can either spiral down if we're Christians today and think, oh no, or I feel faith rising in me that says, Lord, make me more like you each day. Because we want to be that mirror image of Jesus. We want to be little Christ, which is what Christian really means. And although we fail and although we fall, the goal of the Christian is to let Christ's grace daily transform us so that the Gandhis of this world might one day look and say, that person shows me what Jesus looks like. And all of us will have a little bit of that as we continue to spend time in his word and in his presence. If we... Critique the church, and we all do. We'll all be guilty of it. Jesus had his critics, and we are often critical of church. Uh, In the Old Testament, the prophets were critical of worship. This is what they said. Hold fast, this is not a dig at the worship team. The Lord says, I hate your religious festivals. I can't stand them. Stop your noisy songs. I do not want to listen to your harps. Well, we haven't got any harps, so we're okay. Instead, let justice flow like a stream, and righteousness like a river that never goes dry. Now, the prophet Amos in this is not critiquing the music. He's not doing that. What he is doing and saying is God is offended where our public performance is not married up or matched up to what we're doing when we leave this place. That actually let justice flow out of us, let righteousness, let that further flow out of us that, that led Wilberforce, that led Martin Luther King actually our world is in a mess and we have a chance to collude with that mess or change it. And the prophet Amos is saying, actually, you have a chance if you're a church, if you're a believer today, if you even have a little bit of God's power in you to make a difference, to change so that we don't collude with it. And this is a message throughout scripture that the church is challenged and analysed. In Isaiah, we hear the prophet Isaiah who says, it's all very well you're fasting, but do you know what? what the real kind of fasting I want? It's to, to see justice, to see goodness, to see kindness. And so often the church hits the media for what we're against rather than what we're for. And I've said that many times because I'm passionate about it, forgive me. But I long for more press about where the church gathered are doing beautiful, good things. Just recently, our stay and play team at uh, Riverside House have been approached by Anna Wynne to work with the most fragile of women and look after their children. Why? Because they heard about stay and play and felt it would be a safe place to reach out These are battered women who have found something of Christ in the stay and play and have said, please come and help us. And that is church at its most beautiful, I think. Uh, And there'll be many, many more examples of that. I was in a church in Burnham-on-Sea a while ago on on the tour I went on. And uh, I found this, took a photo of it. This is, uh, I don't know if you can see it, but this is called the leper's squint. And this is a real thing. This is a real thing where it's blocked up now, but actually lepers had to stay out of the church and they could look in through that. It's almost like a little letterbox, isn't it? That was their church to stand outside and to look in through a little letterbox into what was going on. And uh, one of the lovely ministers there has actually preached on that. He took his congregation out and said, let's not be like that. Let's be people that actually unblock the barriers and bring people in. Let's never be the church that just lets people look in from the outside, but actually that welcomes people in. So in the two passages that we're looking at that Andy read for us, there's very clear direction from Jesus by his example and by his teaching that says actually the heart is the most important thing when we look at church and we look at his followers. Jesus' followers were called disciples. Disciples mean learner. I don't know how good you are with learner drivers. <laughs> I think I'm getting better, Um, but I'm a little bit impatient still, if I'm honest. If I've tailgated you recently, I think I'm getting better. But there is a sense where we are learners. If you're a disciple of Jesus today, you have an L plate on, and that says we're learning. And I remember the old bumper stickers that said, God hasn't finished with me yet. Be patient with me. And there is a sense of that, that Jesus knows that his followers are broken, flawed people. He builds the church on the one man who's got it the most spectacularly wrong of his disciples, Peter. So church was built on someone getting it wrong. It's interesting, isn't it, in the New Testament that Peter has denied him, and yet he's the person that Jesus chooses to build his church on. And he's criticised Jesus, uh, not directly, but to his disciples. They say, who is this guy? Why is he eating with sinners? Why is he eating with tax collectors? Levi puts a banquet on for him because he's received this amazing grace, and the critics are out. And whenever we reach out and do something that is a bit countercultural and a bit different, we we'll have our critics won't we and it's right there but jesus nips it in the butt and he says you know it's is it the sick people or the well people who need a doctor it's the sick people and he says i am the doctor and the sick are those that i bring in the the tax collectors and uh, those who were ostracized in that society he said i've come for them And I I don't know, recently someone uh, said to us at Riverside that we were too missional. And we'll get lots of different brands of that, uh, of critique. But I'm interested in that as a critique of Riverside because my favourite definition of mission is one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. I think that's it. When we really boil it down... It's saying, do you know what, we've found something that has changed our lives, changed our families, changed our hope, changed our hope eternally. And we want to share that bread with anyone that feels that they would like to know that and experience it for themselves. Tim Keller says this, Because they think of Christianity as a self-improvement program, they emulate the Jesus of the whips in the temple, but not the Jesus who said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. We can all get a little bit judgy, can't we? We can all suddenly become a little bit judgy of other people. And what Keller, Tim Keller is saying here is actually he's reminding us of how Jesus dealt with that, that when a woman was about to be stoned for adultery in a public place, he challenged the first person, who is it among you who can throw the first stone? And silently, if you picture it, if you evoke the scene in your head, the pride and the ballast that was going to throw, suddenly there's that check in everyone. I can't do it. And there's that resonance again for us that church is messy because we're in it. That we bring that sinful nature to the grace of Jesus. As we go on to the passage, it's actually Luke 18, not 19. I apologise for that. Um, We have this parable told by Jesus, and some of you know I grew up a bit daunted because I am the daughter of a tax collector. Uh, So growing up in Sunday school, my sister and I kept incredibly quiet about what I did for a living because they kept saying, Jesus even likes tax collectors. It's like the worst thing ever uh, growing up. So I still hold the scars of that. But. Tax collectors we know in that day had a terrible reputation and were corrupt, and uh, only in the next chapter of Luke we actually see one of them meeting with the grace of Jesus, actually personally in Zacchaeus. But for this, he says there are two men and they go up to pray, and by that he means that they would climb up the hill to the temple and they were allowed to pray their prayers in the area outside of the temple. The temple was the holy of holies that they weren't allowed into, but people would therefore pray Public prayers, and we do that sometimes, don 't we? Uh, but actually, they could hear each other 's prayers, so you 've got on one hand the Pharisee who's enjoying it, and you can almost picture that he 's enjoying the the tone of it, and he 's shouting out and he 's thanking God that actually he is not like that, that he is not a sinner like the tax collector, that he's not guilty of adultery, and in a way, what he 's doing he 's saying there are the super sins. You know, those are the sins I'm keeping away from. Oh, and by the way, I fast a couple of times a week and I give a tenth of everything. So he's really showing off in prayer, isn't he? He's saying, thank you that I'm not like that. And then there's the tax collector and people would normally have prayed very straight and standing up, but he's not. He's bent over. He's downcast because he knows that he's hurt God and he just says, have mercy on me as sinner. And his whole posture is that I can't look at God. I don't feel able to face him. And in all of our lives, there will have been, I think, moments like that where we identify that actually, who are we? That the almighty God would love us enough to send his son, Jesus. And yet he has done that for each of us. And there's that absolute shame in all of us that says, I'm not worthy. And I think most of us here, when we heard the story read, would say, I know that feeling. However... I'm going to challenge us slightly to think, I also think we know what it is to stand where the Pharisee stands, if we're truly honest. Because sometimes we can judge other people and say, well, that's a super sin and my sin's not as bad as that. Now, I hope that we're not guilty of that, but I think sometimes we might be. And actually, the Bible says all sin is sin. Yes, there are much bigger effects to something like adultery, painful, deep, lasting effects that make that an incredibly painful sin to get caught up in but there is grace for that and that's what the pharisee is missing he's missing out on grace he hasn't got that actually all of faith is reliant on the grace of Jesus Christ the Christian faith centers itself on that on the the tax collector bowed down and saying I'm a sinner saved by grace. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer Uh, colluded with the Nazi regime uh, to a point and then saw what was going on and thought, no, I will not sign up anymore. And he started three independent churches that would not sign up to Hitler's movement. And he wrote letters that actually were subversive about his faith and that he couldn't see any match at all with what Christians believed and what was going on. And he wrote this, which I think is beautiful, He wrote, pain is a holy angel. Through him, men have become greater than through all the joys of the world. The pain of longing, which often can be felt physically, must be there. And we shall not and need not talk it away. But it needs to be overcome every time. And thus, there is an even holier angel. That is the one of joy in God. It's uh, quite a deep message, I think, that... Uh, But one of the things Bonhoeffer believed is that society craves joy, happiness, uh, things going well. But the greatest of teachers he has found has been pain. And when the church has hurt us, when individuals have hurt us, when people in our own families maybe have hurt us, and I know that the church has been quite abusive in history uh, through the years, there's a sense where we either distance ourselves completely and say never again, Or there's a sense where we walk back into that and we say, God, would you please help me to forgive? Would you give me the grace and mercy to forgive and move on? And actually that becomes a source of great joy. And I know for myself in in my life, um, there have been things that I've found incredibly hard at the time to forgive but actually when we move on, there is a joy that is given to us that is not of human making, uh, that is of the spirit of God. And uh, I truly, truly believe that. I found this poem, some of you will know it, but I I thought it would be a a good place to end uh, as we look at why the church causes pain. When I say that I am a Christian, I'm not shouting that I'm clean living. I'm whispering, I was lost, but now I'm found and forgiven. When I say I'm a Christian, I don't speak of this with pride. I'm confessing that I stumble and need Christ to be my guide. When I say I'm a Christian, I'm not trying to be strong. I'm professing that I'm weak and need his strength to carry on. When I say I'm a Christian, I'm not not bragging of success. I'm admitting I have failed and need God to clean my mess. When I say I'm a Christian, I'm not claiming to be perfect. My flaws are far too visible, but God believes I'm worth it. When I say I'm a Christian, I still feel a sting of pain. I have my share of heartache, so I call upon his name. When I say I'm a Christian, I'm not holier than thou. I'm just a simple sinner who received God's good grace somehow. And as we respond to this question, why does the church cause so much pain? It occurs to me that there may be different responses. One may be that you do need prayer today uh, for where the church or Christians have hurt you. And just to confess it to someone and to have them pray with you is a powerful thing. That might be just someone you've come with. Uh, It might be that you want to do that with our prayer team over by the banner. But I recognise that's quite a hard and personal thing to do. So you might want to do that where you're sat. Uh, But there's also that sense of faith rising in us as church to say, let's be those that do mirror the Christ that has forgiven us, that actually do do those things where we stand up for justice and righteousness, where we are that river that flows out of the temple into our lives. Uh, Fanaticism has often been associated with faith, and I was reading about that, and I think sometimes we think the more fanatical people are, then the more Christian they are, when actually the Gospel doesn't say that. The Gospel says, if you're fanatical, you're almost saying, I have no need of God, like the Pharisee, it's all about works. But actually, it is about grace. It is about receiving His grace. And actually, we can be deeply committed to Christ without that fanatical uh, sense that the Pharisee has in the story. And the deeper commitment we make to Christ, the more I believe he will change us to be the church that he longs for us to be. I'm going to invite Ben and their band uh, back, and they're going to introduce a song to you that some of you will know, uh, but some of you, it may be quite new. And I think that's a good opportunity for us to be still a bit and to take time uh, as they sing to just let the words of this um, resonate with us and maybe even pray them for ourselves. And then after that, in the second song, there will be opportunity to go for prayer or maybe pray with somebody that uh, that you've come with this morning.